the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Time now for the Church of the Week, showcasing churches and pulpit ministries from across the greater San Francisco Bay Area. In a day and age when everything around us seems to be constantly changing, and in fact there almost appears to be nothing upon which we can put our hope or our faith, isn't it encouraging to know that God's Word reminds us that His Word remains the same yesterday, today, and forever, that no matter what happens, even though heaven and earth may pass away, that God's Word remains forever, that the Bible stands. That, by the way, is the name of a program hosted by our guest on today's show. He is the senior pastor of Bethel Baptist Church of Morgan Hill and speaker on the Bible Stands broadcast, which comes your way every Sunday evening at 7 p.m. right here on KFAX. And Pastor Greg Tomlinson, so appreciative of having an opportunity to spend some time with you today. Well, thank you very much for allowing this, I me mean, to have this opportunity to speak and to just share with people uh, what Bethel Baptist Church is, is doing and what our, our purpose and goal is. Uh, which, according, you know, like the program is titled, is The Bible Stands. It's all about the Word of God. From the morning into now it's the late afternoon, we have various programs or, or study opportunities to for people to get to know what is in the Bible, how to address issues of life from the Bible, and, and how to understand Jesus in a pers- more personal way. One of the aspects of your ministry that I appreciate so much, and that really goes to the heart of not only the name of your your radio broadcast ministry, but but the the flavor of what happens in all of the teaching that occurs at Bethel Baptist Church, and that is your strong sense of the importance of solid apologetics. And boy, in a day and an age when we tend to question absolutely everything, and where seemingly there is almost, a, if we talk about the the a pandemic of COVID. There also seems to be a bit of a pandemic of biblical ignorance, and and sadly that ignorance runs pretty rampant even within the church. Meaning that there are many believers out there that can tell you what they believe, but may not be able to tell you why they believe it. They just remember that they heard it at one point, and therefore they embrace it. And of course. That becomes very problematic when it comes down to the capacity of being able to share your faith with others. The Bible tells us to be ready to give an answer for the hope that lies within. And and, and I wonder, Pastor, do you find it troubling that oftentimes these days many average Christians just don't have an answer for that hope? Oh, absolutely. Um, many years ago, um, I started a, a class specifically to address that issue. We call it Searching the Scriptures. Um, it's currently at 2 o'clock, and we broadcast it over the Internet. And what we do is we take any question you have, and we open up the Bible to look at what the Word of God has to say about your question. Because the most important thing for us to know and understand is, one, that God's not afraid of your questions because He has the answer. And Almost always, he himself is the answer. And as we take a look at, you know, theological questions or family questions or or current events questions, it's always, what does God have to say about this? How do I apply the Word of God to my life and my understanding? And it's crucial, like you said, that we understand not just what we believe, but why. When I was the youth minister, that was one of my most important things to help my the students to understand is, why do you believe what you believe? So that you can explain it to somebody else. Um, I used to, with, the, with some of our youth group, I would ask them, you know, things like, uh, what's new? You know, a common question everybody asks. 
And so they would start telling me their day and stuff like that. And then I'd say, well, really, if you think about it, what's new? The mercies of God. So we try to take the everyday, even mundane questions and say, what does God have to say about it? Because that ultimately is the most important thing that we can address. So you really, in that regard, broaden um, the meaning of this book. And, and, and by that, I, I hope to suggest that, you know, some people will look at the Bible as merely a history book of past events. Others look at Scripture as a way to learn about the character of God. It certainly is both those things. But it's also very much a handbook for life, isn't it? I mean, really and truly, if you dig down into Scripture and learn how to not only study it but ultimately apply it, you'll find that there aren't many circumstances in life or situations in life or relationships in life that God's Word doesn't in one form or fashion or another have an answer, have an insight that can help us manage through some of the challenges of just everyday living. Absolutely. Um, Paul talks about the entire Old Testament was given to us as an example of how to understand God and how to live our life and how to conduct ourselves, how to understand um, if I make a decision to do this, what will be the consequences of it? I like to, um, in a sense, explain that part of the Old Testament is what happens to a people who have the Word of God but do not have the Spirit of God. And as a result, they try to formulate legalistic laws and everything is covered by some sort of law that they don't follow, but they have a law and they don't really understand the principles behind the, the old Testament is not to make you righteous before God, but to expose that you are in fact a sinner and you are in need of, of God to save you. And that's what Christ came to be. Um, that's, why Paul as well talks about the Old Testament being um, our schoolmaster to show us where we have failed and that in our failure, we might deserve the wrath of God, but God has provided a way out of the wrath and into his love and into the fullness of his mercy. Um, and that's where Christ comes in. Uh, take a look at any of the religions of the world and Every single one of them has some sort of provision uh, or consequence of failure. And some religions, like Islam, it's sort of like, well, if you are lucky and God is being, um, in a sense, merciful at that time, he'll just forgive your sin and, and there's no consequences to it. But justice isn't served. And that's the fascinating thing I find about the Christian faith is you have a legitimate avenue for God to be merciful and at the same time to be perfectly just in the execution of the law and that the intermingle of his justice and his mercy arrive at the cross of Jesus Christ where Jesus took upon himself the wrath of God the punishment for sin but by his death he took away the penalty for our sin and by his resurrection, he gives us his righteousness by which we can be declared right with God and be received as acceptable um, to be in the very presence of God. And it really is the only faith that, that has a mechanism for justice and mercy to be legitimate and validated. So when you're in opinion, do you find it important, therefore, Pastor Tomlinson, to to study the totality of Scripture, the, the whole counsel of God, as we say, in other words, from Genesis to Revelation. And I pose that question because there's been a branch within the church in recent years, and it, it takes on various names. Sometimes they call it seeker-sensitive. Sometimes it's called the emergent church. But with regard, without regard to the label we put on it, 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 it seems to be teaching that focuses almost singularly on God's grace. And while there's nothing, of course, in that that's wrong, I think, though, it, 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 it tends to rob the reader and, and, and steal us of the whole perspective here, because God's grace is nowhere near as precious or meaningful unless we can see it in the context of God's wrath 
and God's judgment. You know, it's one thing to say we're saved, but if we don't want to know what it is that we're being saved from, if we've not taken the time, for example, to read the Old Testament to understand just how impossible it has been for mankind to obey the law, that we ultimately needed God to step in and provide a solution by which we could all experience forgiveness and walk in fellowship with him once having repented of our sins and that mechanism, that that ultimate sacrifice, so to speak, that we find in Jesus and the cross, it seems to me that that message kind of loses part of Part of it's wonder if you leave out the the justice and the and the wrath side of the equation is is, is that correct? Oh, absolutely. Um, the you know, there's a lot of pastors that will claim well, we're New Testament pastors or churches, and the Old Testament has no purpose or meaning. But I challenge any such pastor to say, explain John one twenty nine, behold the Lamb of God, which takes away the sin of the world, without making any reference to the Old Testament. It can't be done. Likewise, there's also a lot of pastors who focus in on, like you said, the love, the mercy, and the grace of God. But those are completely meaningless terms and meaningless um, issues unless you understand the wrath and the justice of God. A God who is pure loving, but there is no possibility for there to be, to be wrath or judgment. Is he really a loving God? There is no concept of grace if there is no prospect for, for punishment and judgment as well. So you can't have one without the other. And the Bible, is its whole purpose is to bring people to know Jesus Christ. The um, Old Testament is to show us how much we have failed so that we can find the one and only way to satisfy God's justice. And we have to have both. You can't have one without the other. I've got a lot of sermons where I explain the Old Testament in light of the New, where we take a look at the um, you know, Genesis uh, 1, where it's talked about we're made in the image and likeness of God. Well, how do we understand that? Well, the fascinating thing to me is in Genesis 1, we're made in the image and likeness of God. In Genesis 3, we decided to tell God, thanks, but I got it from here. And yet in Romans and in Hebrews, it says God came in the likeness of sinful flesh in order to destroy him who has the power of death, even the devil, in in order to bring us back to him. So Jesus does this complete 180 or fulfillment of the circle. We're made in his image and likeness. We broke it, so he came, came in our image and likeness in order to restore us. And we need the fullness of the Old and the New Testament. We need the fullness of the, of the Law and the Prophets in order to understand exactly what Jesus did. I'm curious, from your perspective, Pastor Tomlinson, in terms of teaching God's Word, you know, we, we, we look at what's going on in the country today, we read some of the research that suggests that there's a certain percentile of people who identify as Christians, and yet oftentimes we can see a good percentage of the population that seems to live anything but a holy and righteous life. And I'm wondering how much of that, in your opinion, is the direct fault of people that either have failed to study the Word in the first place, or while maybe they've studied it, they've never quite figured out how to engage in the practical day-by-day application so that they live a life that really is demonstrative of a life that has been transformed by a relationship with Christ. How problematic is that that lack of living out the Word, do you think, in American culture today? That's a huge issue. Um, where, when the Word of God says, thou, not, thou shalt not sin, and the judgment or punishment of of sin is, is death, when we go, or, you know, you shall not lie, sorry. Um, and the punishment for that is, is death, and we go around and we, you know, we, we modify the truth a little bit, and we play games with, with words on deceit and manipulation of words. We aren't living a life that reflects that I believe those kind of words. Um, I think one of the 
biggest issues facing the church in general uh, with respect to the law and its application is envy. Churches want to be the biggest, the most important. They want to have the biggest and the largest audience. They want to have the biggest uh, budgets. But what is the cost of having a, a membership, you know, that's two, three, four, five, ten thousand people, if you're not delivering to them the truth that they need to hear, as opposed to what they want to hear. Um, the motto of Bethel Baptist Church, for as long as I've been there, has effectively been out of Second uh, Timothy 4, where it says, preach the word, in season and out of season. For the time will come when people will not want to hear the word of God, but having itching ears pile up to themselves, teachers, teaching them what they want to hear. And the job of the minister is not to make people feel comfortable about themselves where they're at, but to cause them to encounter God in a real way to where they can recognize that without Christ to pay the penalty for their sin, they're in a whole lot of trouble before a holy and just God. And a life that is lived um, that doesn't care about the consequences of sin even a life that preaches the legitimate gospel. But when you preach the, the judgment, the wrath, and the forgiveness of, uh, of God through faith in Christ, and you do it properly, but your life doesn't reflect that reality, people are going to notice and question everything that you say. And so you need, as Christians, to live a life that reflects the presence of Christ in your life, because without it, people will just look at you just like a hypocrite, like everybody else. And Christians are not called to live in the world or of the world or by the world's standards, but to live for Christ. And none of us does it perfectly. But the general trend of how we conduct ourselves ought to be full of of repentance, confession before God, and change, so that we continue to move in a way that, as Paul says, we are being conformed to the image of his Son, of Jesus Christ, to become more and more like Jesus. Uh, ministers that are just trying to be popular, um, and they may be popular among men, but are they popular among God? I remember years ago, people were talking about you know, developing messages, and who do you develop them for? My first thought is when I develop a message is, I'm developing this message for God, to be his steward, his representation, to present him. It's not about so much uh, preparing it for the people. I need to prepare it for the people so they understand, but I need to prepare it in a way that reflects Christ accurately. And legitimately, and not tries to skip out on things because I don't want to offend somebody. Spend a few minutes, if you would, Pastor Tomlinson, and uh, give us a bit of a glimpse into the ministry of Bethel Baptist Church of Morgan Hill. Folks perhaps listening that are looking for a new church home are fascinated by what you've had to share in our conversation today and would like to know a little bit more about congregational life there at Bethel Baptist. So on Sunday mornings, we tend to start at around 10 a.m. We have a morning Bible study, and we will walk, you know, paragraph by paragraph, verse by verse, whatever it, it happens to me to work, um, through a book of the Bible. And we've been doing that for as long as I've been going there, which is more than 25 years. And so we expound on what the Word of God says and how it impacts our life in the larger perspective. Um, right now we're walking through the book of Genesis and we're dealing with um, Abraham and his uh, appeal to God for, for Lot as God is heading to destroy Sodom and Gomorrah because of the greatness of their sin. So we, we start off the day in the Word of God, opening up and reading the scriptures as a type of Bible study. Then we move to our morning sermon where we our morning service starts at 11, and we 
we'll spend a, uh, some time uh, singing some of the hymns. And, they, the, and a lot of people say, well, why don't you do the contemporary music? Because the hymns teach theology. We want to know who God is. And we want to know why he's worthy of worship. And to me, a lot of the contemporary music doesn't really get into that. But a lot of people love contemporary music. That's great. I have no problem with that. But we want to focus in at Bethel on worshiping and praising God for who he is. And so we tend to use a lot of the, the older hymns and things like the Bible stands, uh, How Great Thou Art, and Amazing Grace, and that type of, of hymn. And then we have um, a time of, of mess, a message from the Word of God where right now we're, we're talking about Jesus and we're talking about his characteristics, his his nature and, and his identity. And we feed that into who are we, right? How, how does this verse impact my way I should view this world and, and how I should conduct and live my life? And then we are currently finishing off the day with a, a two o'clock service of a Bible study, which is where you can bring in any question that you want. And, we will do our best, or I'll do my best, to uh, open up the scriptures and address your question from the Word of God. And we've had all kinds of, of questions on special theo- theology questions to applications of uh, how to deal with um, depression and, and difficult times in life and, and things like that. Um, and so it's an opportunity for people to get their questions asked answered. I've heard of, you know, people raising up questions about God and Christianity and, and told, um, well, we don't ask questions like that. Well, yeah, you do. The fact that a person has a question means it's a legitimate question needed to be asked. And so we, we address that. Um, the answer might be very simple, you know, but that's okay. It's a question someone has, so we talk about it. Then, during, then we have a a prayer service uh, on Wednesdays at 7.30 um, where we get together, we sing some hymns, we read a passage of the Bible, um, a few verses or a few chapter chapter or two, and then we go to the, the, the Lord in prayer. Um, we also have a, a food ministry that we get some food from a, a local uh, grocer and we just we give it to some people that are um, part of what's called informed choices. It's a pregnancy care facility here in Gilroy. And so just to help support those that are having difficult um, times. Um, and then we have evening um, Bible studies as well. Uh, the ladies are, go through a video, uh, uh, video, a video Bible study and, um, I'm trying to get the men's group sorted back up again. And we have the youth, which to me, uh, youth is anybody younger than Methuselah. And th- and we're going through some fundamentals of Christianity. You know, and we need to understand why, how can we trust the Bible? Why can we say it's true? And we look at some of the internal proofs and the validation of, of the Christian faith and how do we deal with it, apply it, and things like that. So those are some of our primary services that we have going on right now. Um, And we're just constantly trying to open up the Word of God and get it into the minds of people and into the the hands of people that people become more and more familiar with what is in the Bible, what is the purpose of the Bible, what is... um, the reason for God in Christ. Why do we, why do we even bother? And so we need to deal with those questions and deal with those aspects so people can understand that every single one of us will have to stand before God at some point. Some of us will stand before God at the cross in repentance, and some will have to stand before God at his throne for judgment. But we all have to stand before God. And if you are seeking a church where the unabridged, unadulterated, power of the word is preached from the pulpit, 
then you'll certainly be blessed by visiting Bethel Baptist Church of Morgan Hill. They meet at 810 Tennant Avenue. That's in the city of Morgan Hill. And you can get more information online about ministries by going to BBCMH, think Bethel Baptist Church, Morgan Hill, bbcmh.org. Sunday morning Bible study about 9.45 a.m., followed by worship at 11. Then there's an afternoon Bible study at 2 p.m. on Sundays, and then that all-important midweek evening prayer service at 7.30 p.m. The pulpit ministry of Bethel Baptist Church and Pastor Greg Tomlinson called The Bible Stands comes your way every Sunday evening at 7 p.m. right here on KFAX. We invite you to tune in. I know you will be richly blessed. Again, more information about the ministry of Bethel Baptist Church of Morgan Hill online at bbcmh.org. And our thanks to Pastor Greg Tomlinson for being with us today. Pastor Tomlinson, always a delight to spend some time with you. Thank you very much for this opportunity. Amen. What a blessing that we have to gather together to celebrate the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And as we look throughout history, there are a lot of events that people celebrate, aren't there? I know a lot of people, they celebrate Christmas, and that is an incredible event where God entered into this world in human form. But there is no event in my mind that took place in history that has had a greater impact than the resurrection of Jesus Christ, the Easter celebration. As we look through the calendar year, there are a lot of days that we celebrate. In America, we celebrate July 4th as, as an Independence Day, the signing of the Declaration of Independence, in which the country chose to pursue a path of separation from a power that they had no way in their own mind to really do it, but they knew it had to be done. There are celebrations, I think, of December 7th, where the U.S. was forced to enter into World War II. Armistice Day, where people lay, where the wars were, war was over, and they laid down their weapons. There are a lot of events, and there are a lot of people in history that are celebrated and remembered. There are only there are two events in, in history that mark that are, are are linked to the Christian faith, predominantly two. There's more, but the major ones is Christmas. Again, where Jesus entered into this world. And, and Christmas gets a lot of attention, doesn't it? All of the lights and, and the gifts and all of the shopping and, every, and all of that stuff. But the greatest event in history is Easter. With the wars and the battles, men found a way to have independence from man. But through Easter, men encounter a way to have independence from death. Man. The resurrection of Jesus Christ restored men into a relationship with God. And it is a day like that is unlike any other. A day that even 2,000 years after it, we still celebrate. I've been talking for years of what I want to do is I want to turn find a way to turn Easter into the new Christmas with lights and with displays and just saying, look, we have a risen Lord. It is the most incredible day of all of history. And we're going to look at a couple of issues with respect to the resurrection of Jesus Christ. We're going to take a look at the occupied tomb and then we're going to look at the open tomb. But why the occupied tomb? T- turn with me to, to, to Matthew chapter 28 and verse 1. Notice it says that in the end of the Sabbath, or when the Sabbath was over, as it began to dawn. This is real early in the morning, right about 6 a.m., and the do- it was just starting to dawn. Toward the first day of the week came Mary Magdalene and the other Mary to see the sepulcher. But see, as I really look at that, I go, why? Why are they going to, to see the sepulcher? What's the purpose? See, the purpose is that there was a body who was laid in that grave. There was someone who was placed in that tomb, and they were coming to honor him. How do we honor the dead? 
See, a lot of times, there are a lot of people around us that go periodically, especially on the anniversary of someone's death, to put plants on a grave. Or they gather together and, and maybe they'll just sing some songs or some hymns. They might create a celebration of the person's life that is in that grave. These women were coming there for basically the same reason. They were going to the tomb in order to complete the process of a Jewish burial. You know, we think of burials and we think of, you know, you know we ship them off down to a, a, a facility somewhere and they take care of all of the embalming and they take care of all of the, the, the stuff. They didn't have that. It would, the family did it. And so they did, because of the, the quick death of Jesus, they did a quick type of embalming, wrapped them up in cloth real quick, but they didn't go through the full process. So they were bringing all kinds of ointments, all kinds of spices in order to anoint the dead body of Jesus Christ. But it still raises the question, why was he there? See, a lot of people, when you talk about, why did someone die? They think of disease, they think of accidents, they think of malicious intent, they think of all kinds of ways. It says, this is why someone died. And it's like, no, 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 you don't understand. That has nothing to do with why they died. Only has to do with how. We need to be able to distinguish the why a person died from the How? People like to take a look at numbers and statistics and how many, what percentage a person died this way or that way. But I will guarantee you that the reason any person dies from the foundation and the creation of this world until now and into the coming of, second coming of the Lord is one reason and one reason only, and that is sin. But see, here's the thing about Jesus. Jesus asked the people, show me if I've committed sin. Expose my sin. And you know how many people came forward? Zero. Nobody could prove that Jesus Christ had sinned. But it raises a question. Why did Jesus die? See, Isaiah outlines that for us. Turn with me to Isaiah 53. Because in Isaiah 53, God tells us why Jesus died. Now remember, this is more than a thousand years before Jesus came into this world as a baby. And yet here, it explains why Jesus died. Not the how, but the why. Look with me. Isaiah 53, verses 3 through 10. It says, He, speaking of Jesus, is despised and rejected of men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And we hid, as it were, our faces from him. He was despised, and we esteemed him not. Surely, look at this, he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we did esteem him stricken, smitten of God and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him, and with his stripes we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray, we have turned every one to his own way, and the Lord has laid upon him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he did not open his mouth. He was brought as a lamb to the slaughter, and as a sheep before her shearers is dumb, so he opened not his mouth. He was taken from prison and from judgment, and who shall declare his generation? For he was cut off out of the land of the living. For the transgression of my people was he stricken. And he made his grave with the wicked and with the rich in his death, because he had done no violence, neither was any deceit in his mouth. Yet it pleased the Lord to bruise him. He has put him to grief. When you shall make his soul an offering for sin, he shall see his seed. He shall prolong his days, and the pleasure of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. So we have here the reason for Jesus' death. Jesus, just like everyone else, in a sense, died for sin. But unlike anybody else, Jesus did not die for his sin. He died for yours. And we need to comprehend that if Jesus was going to come for only one person, and that person was you, Jesus still would have come. 
Jesus died and was placed in that grave, not for himself, but for you. He was bruised for our transgression. The chastisement of the world was placed upon him, our sins on him. Jesus was placed in the grave for you and for me. Many several years ago, there was a movie. Anyone remember hearing about the movie, The Passion? And people wanted to know, why? who killed Jesus? Who killed Jesus? One of these days, one of these years, what I'm going to do is I'm going to put inside the bulletin a picture of who Jesus died for. How do you find a picture of who Jesus died for? You look in the mirror. Jesus died for you. But see, the great thing about the cross, about the story of Jesus, is it doesn't end there, does it? Because let's go back to Matthew chapter 28. I'm going to look at verse 1 again. It says, In the end of the Sabbath, as it was begun to dawn, toward the first day of the week, came Mary Magdalene and the other Mary, look at this, to see the sepulcher. They were going to pay a visit to the sepulcher, to the grave. Some people will take a look at this tomb and they will try to come up with their own expression or understanding of what happened here. And we all need to visit the tomb of Jesus Christ and need to consider what is it that we see there. Do we look upon the tomb of Jesus and we find a body of a man who had his life taken from him too early? Do we look upon the tomb and we see a body of a prophet, of a servant of God? Do we look upon the tomb and do you see the Son of God in power and in strength? See, Jesus asked his disciples, who am I? We all need to address that question. When we look upon the tomb of Jesus, turn to Matthew 16. We need to address ourselves and say, when I go to the tomb of Jesus, what am I expecting to see? Am I expecting to find a body or am I expecting to find much more? Matthew chapter 16, starting in verse 13. When Jesus came into the coast of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, saying, whom do men say that I, the Son of Man, am? And they said, some, that you are John the Baptist, Elias, some Elias and others, Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. Look at this. He says unto them, but who do you say that I am? Simon Peter answered and said, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus answered and said unto him, blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed it unto you, but my father, which is in heaven. And I say unto you that you are Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church. Look at this. And the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. And I will give unto you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. And whatsoever you shall bind on earth shall be bound in heaven. And whatsoever shall, shall loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. See, the greatest question in my mind that we all need to ask ourselves, who do you say that Jesus is? We need to deal with the reality of Jesus Christ and face the facts that we must deal with who he is. Jesus is not just a prophet. Jesus is not just a man. Jesus is the Christ. And that term Christ means anointed one. He was anointed prophet. He was anointed priest. And he was anointed king. All three offices in one person. That's who Jesus is. And Peter professed, you're the Christ, the son of the living God. Now that identity of son of the living God means that he is of the same essence and same nature, same character, same kind as his God. Which means, again, Jesus is not just a man, but he is God in flesh. Who is Jesus to you? We need to deal with the reality of of who Jesus is. Satan desires to keep you from seeing and from understanding who this Jesus is. Satan wants to keep you enclosed in a prison. Remember where where we emphasize here a little bit? He says, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Against what? 
against the proclamation of Jesus Christ. See, it is God, through the power of the Spirit of God, through the work of Jesus Christ, who reaches into the bowels of hell, reaches through the gates of hell, to keep you, that's trying to keep you enslaved and encased in hell, and he brings you out and gives you life. We need to comprehend exactly who Jesus is. But let's go back to Matthew 28, because see, we've still got to deal with what did they expect to find? When you, when you go to a tomb, when you go to a grave, what do you expect to find? Well, maybe a headstone. And if you were to open it up, maybe a body. What did you expect to find? So clearly, it says that they be, that, look with me at verse 2. He says, and behold, there is a great earthquake because the angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone from the door and sat upon it. So they were expecting to find a closed tomb. They were expecting to eventually find a body. But what did they find? The door was open. And this was a, not just a rock. This was a huge, huge stone. One of the other gospels says, how are we going to move the stone? We have no clue how we're going to open the stone. But see, here's the cool thing about this. They didn't have to open it. God did. You see, there's two reasons why God opened the stone or rolled the stone back. One is to let the prisoner of the grave free. I don't mean to say that Jesus couldn't get out apart from the stone, but it signified that the prison door was opened. The, t- the sentence was complete. The justice of God was fulfilled. If you commit a crime, you are given a sentence. And if it's a really bad crime, you go to jail. And when you have served your time, the judge, in a a form, opens the gates of the prison and lets you out. You are no longer enslaved in that jail, imprisoned. You are now free. The judge approves of your release. God approves of the release of Jesus Christ. And his, remember, his sin, his, the reason he was there was for you and for me. Which means Jesus served your time and my time for all eternity in three days and three nights. It just blows my mind away. But see, there's another reason why that tomb was open. You see an open tomb that's not supposed to be open, what are you going to do? You're going to go look. What What happened? And so it was open so the people could go in and look for and try to find Jesus. And what do they find? Nothing. They find the cloth sitting there, and that's about it. They found nobody. They were still looking for a body, the scriptures tell us in the other gospels. But they never found a body. The tomb was there, and it was opened up for all to see. Some people will say, well, they went to the wrong tomb. They didn't go to the wrong tomb, folks. How many tombs have guards around them besides the tomb of the unknown soldier in Arlington Cemetery? You don't have guards on tombs. They had a guard on this one. You don't set a seal on a tomb to make sure that no one gets in or gets out. They did on this one. Nobody could mistake the tomb of Jesus Christ for a different one. Wouldn't happen. They knew where the tomb was. They were protecting it and guarding it so that no one would come in, take the body of Jesus, and deceive people. See, a lot of people look at the tomb of Jesus and they say, oh, it's just myth, it's just fancy, it's just you know, a symbolic gesture of our freedom. Well, let, me t- let me explain to you what Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. In 1 Corinthians 15, Paul wants us to understand the reality of the open tomb. Not just as a symbol, but as an actual historical event apart from which you have no hope. Look with me, verse 6, chapter 15, 1 Corinthians 15, 16 to 22. He says, For if the dead do not rise, then Christ is not raised. And if Christ is not raised, your faith is vain, is worthless. You are yet in your sins. Then they also which are fallen asleep in Christ are perished. 
If in this life only we have hope in Christ, we are of all men most miserable. But now is Christ risen from the dead and become the first fruits of them that slept. For since by one by man came death, by man came also the resurrection of the dead. For as an Adam all die, so also in Christ shall all be made alive. Paul wants us to understand the historical necessity of the resurrection of the empty tomb. He wants you to understand that if Christ did not rise from the dead, you are still in your sins. You have no hope of escaping the condemnation and the wrath of God. But Jesus is risen from the dead communicating and expressing freely and openly that there is power over death. Man, it's incredible. You see, people take a look at death and they say, well, it's the finality of all things. And when you're in Jesus Christ, it's just the beginning, folks. I may have aches and pains in my feet and in my knees and, and people have them in their fingers and the shoulders and, and some of them are going, oh man, I hate getting old. But you know what? The older you get, the closer you're getting to living. I don't, I'm not worried about what pains and aches and problems I'm going to have in this body because I know I've got a new one waiting for me. And it is far superior body It's almost like my real one, but it's a far superior body than what anyone could possibly even imagine. It is perfect. No flaws, no wakes, no pains, no sorrows, no turmoils. Man, I can't wait. That's what God does for us. The the reality is the resurrection of Jesus Christ is a historical event. Many have tried to debunk it, and none have succeeded. The more I hear of people trying to go and prove the resurrection of Jesus Christ as a hoax, as a myth, and they really research it and study it, the more they come away with, I have but one answer. Jesus Christ is Lord. The resurrection of Jesus Christ changes everything. But see, here's a, here's a cool thing. Let's go back to, to, to Matthew 28. Because we would expect almost that, that his disciples would say, yeah, he was risen. Yeah, you know, we, we saw this. Yeah, we know. You would expect that, right? Just trying to protect his name, protect his reputation. But what about those who do not believe? How many of you would expect, oh yeah, you know, the unbelievers are going to say, oh yeah, Jesus rose from the dead. I mean, people are, are nuts if, to say that, they, that his, um, the unbelievers, by and large, are saying, yeah, Jesus rose from the dead. But we have it right here. Look with me. In verse 4. So these are the guards, and it says, and for, because of fear of him, because of the fear of this angel, the guards shook and became like dead men. They saw the tomb open. These are people who don't believe in Jesus Christ. They saw the tomb open. And you know what they did? They didn't go to their boss. They went off to the Sanhedrin, the religious leaders, and they said, we got a problem here. We were standing there guard. We never fell asleep. We were wide awake, and we were standing guard on the tomb. And all of a sudden, the door opened, and there was no one inside. There was an angel sitting out there, this gleaming power of an authority, and we saw it. See, they dis- those who disregard the gospel of Jesus Christ and to try to discredit it know of its truthfulness. They cannot deny it. These guards couldn't. Ultimately, nobody can. Let me show you in 1 Corinthians 15. You see, people try to discredit the resurrection and say it was a fabrication or it was just some sort of uh, massive something going on here. But look with me at 1 Corinthians 15, verses 1 through 9. He says, Moreover, brethren, I declare unto you the gospel which I preach unto you, which also you have received and wherein you stand, by which also you are saved, if you keep in memory what I preached unto you, unless you have believed in vain. For I delivered unto you, first of all, that which I also received, uh, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, and that he was buried, 
And then he rose again the third day, according to the scriptures. And then he was seen of Cephas, then of the twelve. After that, he was seen of above six, above five hundred brethren at once, of whom the greater part remain unto this present, but some are fallen asleep. After that, he was seen of James, then of all the apostles. And last of all, he was seen of me also, as of one born out of due time. For I am the least of the apostles, and I'm not meet to be called an apostle, because I've persecuted the church of God. <laughs> Paul's saying, you want to find out if Jesus rose from the dead? Go start asking who around. Don't take my word for it. He's saying, you don't need to listen to me. You don't listen to, have to listen to what I say. You don't even have to listen to the 12. Go around. Because there were 500 people at one event that saw the risen Lord Jesus Christ. And I bet you some of those did not even believe before they saw him there. And notice what he says there. He says, the greater part are still alive. Isn't that amazing? God is communicating. You know what? There are people who saw the risen Lord. You can go talk to them. You can go verify what they saw. Believe them. They weren't one of his inner circle. They weren't one of his, his, his closest of friends and admirers. But they were the people who came and saw the risen Lord Jesus Christ. Go and talk to them. See, the evidence is overwhelming on the reality of Jesus Christ and his resurrection. This morning, Al Meeks was talking about Josephus. He was the first of what we would call a modern-day historian who recorded events in a historical fashion that people look at and say, yeah, this is history. He's got a whole section on the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Now, he was a Jew. He didn't believe. But he was reporting what was being communicated about the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ arose from the dead. Amen. And every source of testimony that seeks to find it, to find him, will find him risen and alive. But see, there's one more thing. Let's go back to Matthew 28. Because in Matthew 28, we still got to deal with the reality and says, well, what do I do with this? We have this resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. We have the, the proclamation that he is risen from the dead, that he did in fact die, and he did in fact come back from the dead. What do I do with this? Well, he tells us, look with me. We're going to look at verse 7 and then in verse 10. The angel is speaking in verse 7. He says, and go quickly, look at this, and tell his disciples that he is risen from the dead. And behold, he goes before you into Galilee, therefore shall you see him. Behold, I've told you. Verse 10. And Jesus said unto them, don't be afraid. Look at this. Go tell my brethren. And they go into Galilee, and there shall they see me. What are we supposed to do with it? Same thing the women did. The women were told, go and tell. You know, when, when you're dealing with elementary school kids, what is a common thing that they'll have? Show and tell. But see, Jesus doesn't say just show and tell. He says go and tell. We need to go and find people and say, hey, did you know that Jesus rose from the dead? And he took my sins away, and he has purified me that I am going to be in his presence for all eternity. Go and tell. It's not a request. And it shouldn't be something that we just go, oh man, I gotta go tell someone about Jesus. It is the greatest event in history. God is good. Look with me at 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Because Paul wants us to understand this task that we have been assigned by God to do. 2 Corinthians 5, verses 17 to 20. Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. That's speaking about you and me who trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. He says, and all things are of God who has reconciled us to himself by Jesus Christ and has given to us the ministry of reconciliation to it that God was in Christ reconciling the world unto himself, not imputing their trespasses unto them, but has committed unto us the word of reconciliation. 
Now then, we are ambassadors for Christ, as though God did beseech you by us. We pray you in Christ's stead, be ye reconciled to God. If you take a look at some of the major events of history of the life of Jesus Christ, his birth was announced by the angels, and people went and saw the birth of Jesus. His death was first, or his resurrection was first proclaimed by an angel or two. But it didn't stop there, did it? See, Jesus, God could have just used the angelic beings and said, you know what we're going to do is we're going to send visions and we're going to send angelic beings into your presence to show you the risen Lord. But God had a better plan. God's plans are always better, aren't they? He's going to send you and me. And sometimes I, you look at him and go, why would he send me? Because he loves you and he trusts you. Because he rose for you. He put a place himself upon that cross for your sins. And he was resurrected to bring you into his presence. And he calls us to go and tell others what it is that you have experienced with Jesus Christ. See, we, we have been made new. Our old habits, our old desires, our old intents and purposes, they are to be purged and pushed away out of our lives and replaced with Christ. His desires, His will, His purpose. And His purpose is for you to tell the person on your left, on your right, across the room, wherever you find them, tell people what Jesus has done for you. The resurrection of Jesus Christ is a real event that will impact your life your eternal life at a minimum. It'll impact your life now as you live for him. The joy that you can get from trusting in the Lord Jesus Christ to know that no matter what happens on this world, this isn't it, folks. We got more. And so before you is the opportunity to recognize that you have in fact sinned against God and you're deserving of, of his wrath and of his justice. Or you can look upon Jesus Christ and recognize it is a hum- an opportunity to humble yourself before Jesus Christ, to honor him for the sacrifice he made on your behalf. Not only in taking the punishment of your sins, but also for covering you with his goodness. What will you do with the tomb of Jesus? Will you cower in fear and run away? Or will you stand in awe of the greatest event in history. Romans chapter 4, verse 25, Paul records for us a great summary of the, of the events of the cross. Speaking of Jesus, was, who was delivered for our offenses, for our sins, for our iniquities, and he was raised again for our justification, for our right relationship with God. Right there is the purpose of the cross. Delivered for our offenses, raised for our justification. What are you going to do with Jesus? Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you so very much for the greatness of your love, your mercy, and your grace, for the power of the gospel of Jesus Christ to transform our lives, to bring us unto yourself, to lift us up and to strengthen us, to serve you, to worship you, and to praise you. Lord, help us to be your love. Help us to be your feet in your truth. In the name of Jesus Christ, I pray. Amen. Pastor Greg Tomlinson, Senior Pastor of Bethel Baptist Church of Morgan Hill. This has been the Church of the Week, showcasing churches and pulpit ministries from across the greater San Francisco Bay Area. To nominate your congregation for Church of the Week, please email us the name and address of your pastor and church, along with a link to your church's website to churchoftheweek at salemsf.com. Again, that's the name and address of your pastor and church, along with a link to the website and email to churchoftheweek at salemsf.com. While all submissions will be considered, not every submission is guaranteed airtime. Thank you for joining us today, and be sure to tune in again next week at this time for the Church of the Week. 
three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.